Welcome to the Imago Day podcast, a show of philosophical and theological reflections for today's world. My name is Lewis, and I am here I with am Joseph well. Terry. Just Joe, back how are you doing? Talk with wife, celebrated uh, our anniversary, wonderful time. You know, just chilling okay, right now, Joe, back, back in Queens. I'm <laughs> uh, happy to be here with you, man. Nice. Yeah. Today we continue our conversation on metaphysics, and today is part two, where we get into a different allegory. And we talk about um, dialectics and some other things for causes as well. So, Joe, uh, last week we talked about the allegory of the sun. Um, Can you just briefly, in like 30 seconds, an elevator pitch (laughs) of the allegory of the sun, just as a reminder, Mm -hmm. just real quick, uh, how would you explain the allegory Uh, of the sun? So, elevator pitch, here it goes. the allegory of the sun uh, is uh, Plato's way of articulating his uh, theory about the nature of reality and subsequently um, what true knowledge uh, uh, looks like in light of the way reality is laid out. And in essence, um, uh, the sun um, is uh, a metaphorical representation of, of goodness, what Plato will speak of, that which is the fullness of intelligibility, which actually exists beyond being the, the world that is enlightened by the sun, right? This is an allegory, so that means that all the visual is, is metaphorical, it's representative of something else. Uh, the sun uh, enlightens or makes visible the physical world, and that's uh, a metaphorical way of saying that that the fullness of goodness, uh, the, the the one the thing that is beyond being, actually uh, 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 makes all things intelligible. And um, into the word intelligible simply mm-hmm. means uh, understandable, right, or discernible. Um, mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. for Plato, he's he's articulating. Um, in the allegory of the sun and all of his allegories, uh, what what reality is and how we can discern reality mm-hmm. um, and and truth um, in in his correspondence. Probably not the best mm-hmm. elevator speech there, but <laughs> you know, there's so much there. <laughs> no, that was great. I yeah, I think I think it's a great introduction because the his allegory of the divided line seems to kind of unpack. Um, yes. these ideas a little further as far as kind of distinguishing the the intelligible world and I guess what do you call yes. the world yes. of appearances. So um, I was hoping we could just let's dive into yeah. the divided line and let's just kind of uh, I don't know maybe maybe uh, <laughs> I'll start off with the visual and yeah. then you could pick it up because I think it's, it's a nice clear visual that I could make. Um, so my understanding of the allegory of the divided line is that you take this line and you divide mm-hmm. it into two sections. The first section is kind of mm-hmm. the world of appearances, and the second section mm-hmm. is the intelligible world. And each section is divided up into you two parts, it. so you have four parts That's total. Right. Um, and so, and just kind of like this hierarchy from the world of appearances to yes. the intelligible yes. world. Do you mind just kind of unpacking the the four sections, yeah. starting off with the yeah. world of appearances? Um, so what's interesting, ahead. you know, I mean, giving our platform, obviously we, we don't 
we're unable to articulate the visual, uh, right? Um, but yeah. uh, I think it's important to note that um, typically when this is when this is discussed, uh, there are two ways of doing it. You can either, let's say, by way of a chalkboard or whatnot, um, some visual apparatus. You can lay out the line horizontally, or you can lay it out vertically. And mm -hmm. I find the vertical, right? Um, mm -hmm. Let's say the y-axis uh, rather than the x-axis. The y-axis being more helpful because, just like you said, Lewis, Plato is uh, describing a kind of hierarchy of reality. So there's something visually nice mm -hmm. uh, about seeing it laid out on the y-axis, and then we can talk about the um, yeah. the four segments as you um, just shared with us. The first two being at the bottom of the y-axis, right, closer to Earth, and as you progress upward, mm -hmm. you're going into higher orders of reality, which is exactly what Plato is um, wanting mm -hmm. us to get here in this particular allegory of the divided line. So let's just have that in mind, right? That that we want to have mm -hmm. this vertical uh, line uh, uh, going upward. And, um, you know, the first two segments uh, um, represent the lower portion of reality. The upper two segments signify mm -hmm. the higher uh, 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 portion of reality. And um, the, the, the mm -hmm. first two segments, right, uh, or the first major division, but the first two segments represent the visible or the empirical world. That's key, that's key, right? Uh, the mm -hmm. world of imagination, uh, of art, of illusion, Mm -hmm. um, and and the world mm -hmm. of the physical senses, our five senses, and, and we can talk about exactly what that means for each segment in just a moment. But that's really the first two segments. Is the it represents the the visible, the empirical, the imaginative world. Um, and then when you go up and ascend mm -hmm. to the other, the upper two segments, for Plato, that is the intelligible world. Uh, the world of forms, the world of dialectical reasoning. And without surprise, we see this two-tiered system uh, clearly delineated, de delineated uh, in this divided line, right? You have the upper echelon, the intelligible, the world of understanding, the world of truth, and then the lower uh, the two segments, which is the world of visibility, empiri uh, empirical reality, and imagination. Um, and it's just helpful just to see how it's laid out in that um, way. And when you, now you, can, you can start talking yeah. about each of the four segments, right? Because you have the four segments and the bottom, the lowest of the four segments um, represents uh, for Plato, uh, the imagination it represents, he, he mm -hmm. would even uh, articulate it in terms of illusion. Um, he, I want to say he gives a visual of a tree. So let's let's think of a tree outside. Uh, think of the shadow of a tree, the shadow of a tree. Um, if we don't perceive the actual tree, the actual physical object, but just the shadow of the tree, um, we are perceiving mm -hmm. something that is there, but is at the same time less real more illusory than the actual physical tree. Because 
the question is, can we deduce something about the tree based on its shadow? The answer is yes, we can arrive at some kind of knowledge or awareness about the tree through the shadow. But it would be a mistake to think that we can discern what uh, the, the tree is um, in its physicality just alone by means of the shadow because as we know, uh, depending on how the shadow is cast, in relation to the light source, we may think the shadow, we may think that the mm -hmm. tree is bigger than what the shadow actually, uh, uh, right? The, the shadow may communicate uh, that the true. tree is bigger or smaller yeah. or has a weird shape. Um, yeah. And so that's the sort of, yeah, yeah that's the example it's given there. Um, okay. Yeah. And you're not going to like this, Lewis, but <laughs> uh, Plato, <laughs> the lowest segment, Oh. Right? Of the four segments. This is the lowest segment that we're calling. Uh, this mm -hmm. um, the first section that represents shadows or reflections of physical things. Uh, he he mm -hmm. wants to put imagination. He wants to put sort of mm -hmm. the typical opinions of, of untrained minds. He also wants to put their mm. artists. <laughs> Um, and what he means by this, right, um, let's say a, a, a painting, just as an example. Well, mm. a painting is a shadow-like image of what is real. So if you're doing even surreal painting, it's mm. still a copy yeah. of a physical object, which for Plato, the physical object itself, which is in the second segment we're going to get there, is itself a poor copy or a reflection mm -hmm. of something much higher. So art is two uh, degrees removed or several degrees removed from truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it's yes. an abstraction of and reality. And not in a good sense, because sometimes he'll use the word abstraction or uh, in, in, a, in a more positive sense. Um, and this is more of a... Uh -huh. um, I'm moving away from reality uh, again. This idea of illusion. Now, you uh -huh. know, I mean, many have written about Plato's um, assessment of art, and is he too negative, or are we reading him wrong? You know, we could table that conversation. I think it's an important mm -hmm. one to have. Um, but that's that's what we see here mm -hmm. in the allegory of the divided line: um, the artist, the poet. Mm -hmm. All of these um, are rooted in varying perspectives, uh, va varying biases mm -hmm. that are a degree or several degrees removed from reality as it is, the fullness of truth. So just to, just to add to that, I am going to assume here confidently that Plato is also referring yes. to media, even though like he he was before you know yes. the invention of cinema and photography yes, but he's, he's talking about even, these things yeah, as well absolutely including okay. even a mirror even a very nice okay. polished mirror what yeah. you see wow. is what you see and mm -hmm. you would say oh that what i'm seeing in a mirror is exactly what i am uh but but even if the mirror is mm -hmm. perfect in its representation of you it's still a degree removed from you because the image mm -hmm. in the mirror is not you yeah so, so media wow. is just a okay. far more complicated confluence of mirror-like, illusory-like uh, 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 appearances or realities being brought together in concert with one another. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, uh, 
yeah, that, that's the first. That's the so first that's segment. The first but, you know, again, I don't. You know, we we don't want to say, oh, you know, Plato's just completely down and out on art, or what does that mean? We, 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 you know, but, but you <laughs> yeah, know, that's, yeah, that's that's, that's Plato. <laughs> first segment. Interesting. I, I mean, it makes sense. It seems like Plato mm-hmm. is pursuing knowledge and i could see why in his hierarchy why this would be kind yeah, of the lowest and, and, the and, and just like you said with regards to the word knowledge um truth is less likely to be found in the lowest segment just like the shadow of a tree mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean you can't mm-hmm. find something useful or mm-hmm. something that is uh intimating the actual tree obviously you are but um because we don't want to get so strong in dividing up these segments where they're not communicative with each other no the shadow is communicating something real about the physical tree um even though it's a shadow right Mm -hmm. uh but 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 it would be wrong for us Mm -hmm. to look for the fullness of truth for authentic knowledge um in places of shadow-like substance that that's Plato, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what's yeah, the so, next? So, uh, so the next in section up, right? The next segment up, the second segment. Let's call it segment maybe segment B. Usually you got A, B, C, D. Segment okay. B would represent actual okay. discrete physical objects. Cats. Okay. Lewis. The building <laughs> of New Life Fellowship Church in Elmhurst, Queens. Cloud, stars, mm-hmm. molecules, um, actual mm-hmm. discrete objects in time and space. That's a nice way of putting it. That 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 are that are there okay. in time and space. Um, that's what the second segment represents. And if the first segment represents sort of illusory shadow-like realities more more opaque to the opinions of the masses uh it's more interior in the sort of um again the opinion perspective the second segment uh Mm -hmm. those objects are located in one or more of our five senses so there it's clearly uh empirical that's the second segment it's empirical Mm -hmm. it is visible it is tangible it is perceivable with one or more of our five senses uh they represent uh that segment segment b represents actual physical things themselves now for Plato, this, fascinatingly enough, is the domain of scientific knowledge. So a physicist okay. or a chemist or a biologist or an astronomer or a geologist, mm-hmm. the list can go on, are operating predominantly in this second tier system. The, this uh, the second segment, rather, I should say. Okay. Uh, they're not operating at the highest yes. form of reality, which is interesting, I think, interesting. given the, the scientism of our yeah. age. Plato is going to say the, st- mm-hmm. the, the physical sciences will be operating in this. Now, the question is why? Well, We've got to think about what are the physical sciences? What what are the natural sciences doing? If not uh, examining mm-hmm. and observing and investigating physical, or that is to say, empirical objects. That's it. That's where mm-hmm. we're at. Now we may say, yeah, go ahead. Wow. So no, no, no. So just like how 
uh, the comment you made earlier about how um, it's interesting how that's only being like science is only operating in mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. second segment. And yeah, and so how like. Why, why do you find that so yeah, interesting? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I find it interesting because of the age of scientism that we find ourselves in. What I mean by that is I, I think for the, for the majority of us, we tend to see scientific knowledge as the upper echelon or the highest form of knowledge one can have, which is, which, which is what scientism is all mm-hmm. about. Um, when we mm-hmm. think that... Um, what the physicist tells us is the holiness of truth, we make the mistake of invoking a kind of scientism where we say knowledge of discrete physical objects, knowledge of the physical cosmos itself is the highest form of knowledge, this sort of, mm-hmm. in a, this, uh, this sort of triumphalism of, of knowledge of physicality. For Plato, is not the highest yeah. form of knowledge. It's not the highest form of knowledge because because reality is far yeah. more deeper than what we can discern with our five senses. That's the key. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, the, mm-hmm. what we can discern with our five senses, uh, or the right the, the empirical, the visible, the tangible world, somehow mysteriously participates mm-hmm. uh, in something far more transcendent. And now, we, if we ask ourselves, well, Plato's just invoking some weird belief system here, well, perhaps we need to think about it again, because when we mm-hmm. get to the third segment, he's going to get to this idea of mm-hmm. abstract objects uh, in mathematics. And if you ask the question, well, what is the language mm-hmm. uh, a physicist needs in order to do physics, and how do they begin to articulate um, what appear to be these, these physical laws of nature? Um, the answer is actually through mathematics. Mm-hmm. It's all mathematics. In fact, so much yeah. so that we can move forward in some ways in the sciences as a, the- let's say, a theoretical physicist just by using mathematics alone. As to say that what we can discern, what we can discover through pen and paper by manipulating some very fancy equations, we can we can begin to possibly discover mm-hmm. certain attributes of the physical universe. So in plain English, what the heck does this mean? Um, a theoretical physicist, uh, just using them as an example, um, let's say like Albert Einstein, um, will mm-hmm. will will operate on the third segment, which we haven't gotten there yet, but we're pretty much there right now, on this abstract object level of the level of mathematics, um, by manipulating numbers, Mm -hmm. by by moving through uh, the equations based on certain axiomatic uh, principles, et cetera, et cetera, and then arrive at a solution to the equations that he's been manipulating on a piece of paper with pencil or pen Mm -hmm. or whatever, Mm-hmm. And discover, that's the key, discover something new about, now watch this move, about the physical universe. About the physical universe. Yeah. Of which then he would, mm-hmm. uh, the theoretical uh, physicist, she would then have to give these findings over, let's say, 
to an observationalist yeah. and say, hey, go look somewhere in nature for this because according to what I discovered here mathematically, we ought to discover this in nature. Right now, I'm I'm kind of simplifying mm -hmm. it because mathematics mm -hmm. sometimes will give us multiple solutions. It's not just a one-to-one -one thing, right? But you will say, well, here, this is what the math is showing. That therefore, you probably will find this in nature. And guess what happens? You find it in nature observationally, which means that there's something mm -hmm. far deeper at work in the physical universe than just the physical. Because if it was just physical knowledge, knowledge, scientific knowledge, just on the physical. Um, world, that would mean that the only way we can progress um, in terms of knowledge is through mere empirical observation. But that if we could, but, but but given that we can actually progress through a more abstract form of, of, of discernment, like the manipulation of mathematical principles, mm -hmm. and make clear predictions about the physical world, seems to suggest that there's something far more than just the mere empirical. Wow, so it's like we're using a segment, like the segment yes. above the empirical world provides yes, the, the means to world. learn more about so, so, and, and, the world. And that's the division. You wow. have the visible world. So let, let's forget about the four segments, A, B, C, and D, and let's collapse the, 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 the top two mm -hmm. into one and the bottom two into one. And remember for Plato, that's the two-tiered metaphysical layout of his theory. That, that's the two-tiered system of reality. Reality is broken into two main parts, the visible okay. or the empirical and the intelligible. Mm -hmm. The intelligible, that's the, that's the upper two segments there. And, and this is why we want to say that okay. we don't want to just separate them in some and, and kind of silo them apart from each other. No, they're all in concert. They're all connected. Uh, but that connection is, is mm -hmm. construed. It's laid out in this kind of hierarchical uh, um, uh, system, as it were, metaphysically speaking. Mm -hmm. So his mm -hmm. metaphysic is going to shape his wow. epistemology plain English, his theory of reality, his understanding of what reality is, is going to shape how we come to know things, our understanding of things, right? Yeah. So if it's the case that reality is far deeper than the physical objects, discrete objects that we can perceive, then that means that if we just stop at discrete objects, our knowledge will only be at best partial knowledge. Partial knowledge. Wow. You know? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can can we jump into uh, yeah segment, segment C right C. so A B C mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. the intelligible world. So it's like in in segment C at this point we are in the intelligible world. In the intelligible world. The forms again just that word intelligible just simply means understandable, open to reason, to rationality. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. The first segment represents, for Plato, mathematical reasoning. Um, definition of, of a straight line, an isosceles triangle, or equilateral triangle, uh, what is a square, um, mm -hmm. numbers, these are all abstract objects. Um, not to be confused with drawings. That's very important, right? Now, we tend to perceive these. We come to perceive them through drawings, right? But we're no longer mm -hmm. uh, 
I would say, even in the drawings, we never see the perfect circle or, or the perfect straight line, right? They're always, the drawings mm -hmm. are always intimations of something far more deeper. In fact, remember, the drawings themselves, any physical representation of abstract objects, mathematical objects, will fall into mm -hmm. segment B. Mm -hmm. That, because it's visible, right? It's visible. And and the visible cannot, yeah. the eye mm -hmm. cannot perceive uh, directly the intelligible, that which dwells in rationality. Like, right, the formula of a circle, let's say. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. segment C is, uh, represents mathematical um, abstract objects. Um, and then... The mm -hmm. highest, the highest section D, segment D, represents philosophical understanding to, to contemplate natural forms. And that word forms go back to, we, we, we discussed that in our last podcast. Um, the the mm -hmm. forms, the sources of intelligibility which the goodness, goodness itself, capital G, is a source of all intelligibility, which is beyond being. And the contemplation of those things is what mm -hmm. the philosopher does. Okay, so mm -hmm. the highest form of knowledge is the top, segment D. The lowest form, segment A. Mm -hmm. um, and... Mm -hmm. We can just kind of go through it. Now, I, I mean, there's a lot that I, I missed here, right? Because what, what, yeah. what Plato, again, you know, the allegory of the divided line is Plato's continued elaboration of his metaphysical philosophy in a sort of illustrated mm -hmm. form. Mm -hmm. um, each, and I didn't say this before, I should have said it, each of these segments represent four different as it were, dispositions or states within the, within the psyche, within the mind. Um, so the first segment would, would represent kind of like conjectures or beliefs of the mind, right? Opinions. Okay. The second segment, segment B, mm -hmm. will represent, he'll use the word belief, belief concerning visible things, right? Um, it's maybe a weird way that okay. right, we would think of belief as anything else, but he uses that word belief. So when you say, I know what a tree is, like I okay. see, like, and you point to the tree and say, that's a tree, that's a belief. That is to say, you know, it, it, that's the sort of mm -hmm. particular disposition of your mind at that point. Why belief? Well, you're, in a sense, Plato doesn't say this, but in a sense, you're believing what your eyes are telling you right now. You, right, right. Yeah, because you could be Third, wrong. segment C, knowledge. It's uh, thought, the ability to uh, um, various thoughts uh, to think uh, abstractly. And then the mm -hmm. top tier, segment D, is understanding, intelligibility itself, the intelligibility itself. Mm -hmm. I'm, try I'm trying to understand the, the differences That's between segment C and segment D yeah. because they sound very similar. Um, let me see, how can I put this? Because is segment D just like this one umbrella term? It's everything wrapped in one, or is he talking, it is about, talking something about something particular? It's definitely not an umbrella term. 
Um, it's the highest form of truth. It's actually okay. where you would find truth itself. It's only in segment D, where in the other segments, you're finding uh, portions of truth. And as you ascend uh, the ladder, the higher you go, the, the, the greater the portion of truth uh, you can discern or discover. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. segment C, right? Mathematical abstract objects. Let me see, how can I articulate this to, to showcase the difference between C and D here. C, mathematically, in a sense, buy in, buys into or assumes certain axiomatic truths that the shortest distance, that the shortest distance between two points is a line, right, as an example. Um, and that we can move from axioms to conclusions, right? So if we understand what one is, and if we understand the operation of addition is, and we put them together that a one plus one is two, right? That ability to enact two plus two is four, and four plus four is eight. When we're doing that, we're operating in segment C. Where we're saying, well, based on the definition of what four is and the, the definition of what addition is as an, as an operation, we can conclude rationally um, that it is eight or four or two, et cetera, et cetera. That's how math is. That's what math is uh, in, the, in, in a very simple way, right? Just using sort of arithmetic. That's segment C. Segment D is deeper. It's the highest. Um, Segment, segment D, in, in essence, is looking at the very things that were assumed to be true, axioms, for instance, and examining why are they true, so, right? So is it looking at math itself? It's looking at, it's looking at a higher form. It's, it's saying, in a sense, segment D is concerned with the whole. But not in the umbrella term that you, that you brought up. Not in the sense like it's just a summary of everything. Yeah. But it's it's putting it all together. It's saying, okay, um, it's saying that. Um, yeah, it's, it's. I'm trying to. <laughs> yeah, no, it's tough. But it's it's tough. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, we could say that segment D is really concerned, the highest segment's concerned with first principles. Um, first principles. Okay. Um, and, and if we know the first principles, and this is where the philosopher is supposed to be operating at, by the way, for Plato. The Plato, well, the philosopher is operating in segment D. The mathematician may be operating in segment C, mm-hmm. and the observationalist scientist is oper- operating in segment B. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me, seg- yeah, segment B, and then the vast majority are operating on segment <laughs> the poor, A. The poor artist, <laughs> segment A. Yeah, poor, poor artist, yeah. <laughs> segment D, the philosopher is operating there because the philosopher, through the art of dialectic, through comparing and contrasting, mm-hmm. through um, the movement of, the contemplation of reason itself, mm-hmm. Um, the philosopher is putting it all together. Mm-hmm. The philosopher is aware of the first principle mm-hmm. that connects all of the things, mm-hmm. all the apparent despairing things, as it were. Yeah. Um, 
I think part of the difficulty that I'm having is is that from I mean the last time I've read Plato he's somewhat vague or ambiguous okay um, but that's really I need to do my homework that's, that's <laughs> I should be putting it on Plato I need to re-examine the text but this this is from what I remember um, yeah it's just funny that um, the philosopher like what you mm-hmm. said the philosopher is kind of operating in, in segment D and I think even just in yeah how you're trying to explain segment D would you say yes. that that is kind of operating in the same segment just kind of like this big overview yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. in a sense absolutely okay. absolutely interesting um, mm-hmm. absolutely um and and so the philosopher has the highest knowledge for Plato because the philosopher is operating at the highest, the upper echelon of reality itself in the in the act of contemplation mm-hmm. and dialectics, right? The discovery of truth and the discovering how first principles are holding all things together, how it all boils down together. So the philosopher can go into segment C mm-hmm. and segment B. Mm-hmm and see what's happening in the physical sciences and how it's connected to the mathematics. Mm -hmm. And then the philosopher can then contemplate, ah, this is how they are connected. Here's how math and observation connects. And this says something about the actual structure of reality itself. Mm -hmm. But but the mathematician and the scientists are not doing that Mm -hmm. qua mathematics qua mathematics or qua science mm-hmm. uh, it's only the philosopher that does that, that 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 bridges the gap and sees how all of it is hanging together yeah uh, and rooted in this sort of transcendent intelligible world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that sense that's what segment D signifies there so um, I, there's I mean there are many different uh, schools of thought and philosophy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they all seem to be pursuing a certain form of intelligence and knowledge. Um, but some of them, they vary so much between each other. So yes. how, how does one pursue knowledge uh, knowing that that philosophy kind of offers a whole range of different outlooks on life? It's a great question. Very simply put, examination. Mm-hmm examination mm-hmm. um, just because there are varying theories and perspectives and opinions doesn't mean we ought to as it were throw our hands up uh, in the air because of intellectual fatigue and say well there really is no truth all there is is varying opinions which is by the way what the skeptic will say right the skeptic will deny uh, the existence of truth or would say that even if there is truth, we don't have the capacity to discover it. Because look at the plethora of options and opinions and theories and perspectives. Who's to say? Socrates, Plato, these guys are rejecting that. They're pushing back against that. And they say, no, 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 don't, don't, don't get lost in the sauce looking for a meatball. Push back. Uh, yes, you can, through the artful use of dialectics, you can actually discover what is true and what is not true. Um, so, 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 so we see, we see this person putting out this theory, this person putting out this theory about life, whatever. Okay, consider that. Consider them, investigate them, test them to see if they're true. So, Plato, Plato was, uh, Yes. Yeah, um, 
I think a good way of thinking about dialectics is to think about a debate, two kinds of debates. Uh, one debate in which uh, the two participants are, um, are um, arguing about a particular point of view, let's say. Um, person A says, no, it's this, while person B says, no, I think it's this. And they are debating about which one is right. Now, a good debate will progress um, dialectically. That is to say, they will compare and contrast and consider the evidence for both positions and try to, as much as possible, dispassionately look at the evidence and just simply follow where the evidence, where the rational evidence uh, uh, leads to arrive at a conclusion. At which then, then one of the parties will have to concede and say, ah, yeah, I lost the debate. I, I, I am mistaken here. Or both will say we're both mistaken. That's actually a third option that we both didn't consider, right? That's a healthy debate. An unhealthy debate between these two people will de-evolve into ad hominem attacks. You're attacking each other. You're using a lot of fallacy. There's a lot of uh, appeal to the emotion, a certain use of rhetoric um, to kind of conflate and confuse uh, perspectives. Um, and there's maybe shouting. That's that's not dialectic. That's just barbarism, as it were. Um, uh, but the because emotion, in essence, can cloud the judgment. It doesn't have to. It's it's the rightful use of the emotion or the, the, the passionate aspect. This actually goes into Plato's psychology. In essence, Plato believes that the, that the human person, that the soul, is composed of three distinct parts. The appetitive, the rational, and the spirited. And the spirited just is another way of saying will or volition, our ability to choose. For Plato, we will choose the will or the spirit is in allegiance either to our rational faculty or our appetitive, where we get the word, where we get the, you hear the word appetite in it, right? Um, if we're, if you and I are getting into a, a, a discussion or a debate about an issue, but you and I are leading out in the appetitive, in the in 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 the passionate disposition rather than the rational, we're not going to arrive at truth. We're, we're going to be blind. Um, but if we're, if we're leading, if, if reasoning is leading out while the competitive is following suit, right, uh, where Plato will say reason ought to be king and not your appetites, right, then, then we can arrive, we'll have a better chance at arriving at the truth uh, and, and perceive what we're discussing there. So it's connected to a psychology and his morality, his politics, there's a lot there. Uh, within the matrix of his metaphysics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, uh, do you see dialectics as an effective method in um, just a, a general discourse on knowledge in today's world? Just, just the way in which we communicate and the way that things are disseminated through images. Um, <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you think that dialectics can have a role in today's world? 
Yeah, not only do I believe they can have a role, I think they are very. Mu- I think dialectics is very much needed. A healthy argument, in other words, is needed. That's just another way of saying dialectic. Like it's like a good argument um, in a world where we are completely co-opted by varying forms of images that appeal to the passionate rather than to the rational. In a world where dialogue is rare, but shouting matches are ubiquitous. In a world where uh, just, man, clear reasoning, it seems to, there's a dearth of clear reasoning. Um, I think we need uh, a a revival of dialectic, of of good, healthy argument. We're just not taught this in schools anymore and so many things that are lost. Um, And it's just nowadays an appeal to the sensorium um, and the image and, Politics is a wonderful example of this, that multiple millions, and if not billions of dollars that back up, let's say, uh, presidential candidates. You ask the question, like, where is this money coming from? It's coming into ads, uh, into varying ways to sway the populace that are glued to the TV, to social media, and to other forms that are not necessarily appealing to their minds, which is why Plato... Give it what you say, what he say, right? Plato and Socrates would be against democracy because of this, because they would say, well, the majority are sheep. They, they're just going to be easily led astray by the image. They're not taught, they're not people. The average person is not trained to really think clearly about arguments. And, and right, most, most of us are parroting uh, or just regurgitating what sounded intelligent to us because we want to sound intelligent and we want to signal to others that we're in the know. We'll say that too. Rather than actually sitting with the proposals and thinking clearly about this. That doesn't mean that every time we do that, we're going to arrive at the truth. But surely that seems to be a far better option than to blindly swing bats at balls that are coming at us. We have no idea what direction. Um, So I think, yeah, it's definitely a need. Um, I, I remember... I, I think um, I remember seeing a, a political uh, a conversation in in the BBC. Now people have their own perspectives about the BBC and whatever. But I enjoy what I enjoyed about watching what I what I did watch in the BBC was this this kind of objective uh, uh, perspective. This considering different points of views. Even some of the documentaries I've seen on BBC, where they give you different perspectives. It doesn't seem hyper slanted, and I, I was just I found that very refreshing. You know. Where almost you're left the view, they leave the viewer the option to choose, given the evidence on both sides. Uh, this one particular program that I saw it. And that's something that I think we, we here in the States, we need that desperately. Need.